0: Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the People's Republic of China, His Excellency Xi Jinping.
1: The Beijing Winter Olympics has just ended, but it wasn't without challenges, and not all involved sports.
0: The United States and other nations are staging a diplomatic boycott of the event in protest at China's human rights record.
1: Although this is not the first time the Games have faced a boycott from some nations, China's alleged human rights abuses cast a shadow over the event. The plight of China's Uyghur community and their
0: harsh repression looms large over the Winter Olympics.
1: The pandemic is still looming.
0: While growing numbers of COVID-19 cases are also worrying athletes and
1: officials. And athletes once again got caught up in the middle of politics. Eileen Gu is going to be on China's Olympic team, despite the fact she's American. Critics in the US have accused Gu of prioritizing profit over concerns about China's human rights record. So, are the games still about sports, or do they represent a geopolitical rivalry under the guise of sportsmanship? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take.
0: My name is Jules Boykoff, and I teach in the Department of Politics and Government at Pacific University in Oregon.
1: So Jules, our episode hits listeners' podcast feeds a day after the closing ceremony of the 2022 Winter Games. As the author of four, soon to be five, books on the matter and someone who watches the games closely, what did you make of them this year?
0: Well, there have never been an Olympics quite like the Beijing Games in the sense that We're talking about an optional sporting spectacle that was staged under coronavirus pandemic conditions in a country that is a serial human rights abuser that has long acted in ways that clash mightily with the lofty ideals that are enshrined in the Olympic charter, and that in some respects blunted the exciting zeitgeist of athlete activism that we've witnessed in recent years. So, you know, Malika, there was a lot going on with these Olympics.
1: So big picture question here. Why do we have the Olympic Games in the first place? Are they meant to be political? If you ask the
0: International Olympic Committee that question, they would for sure say no. And then they would also say the Games are to provide the world with this moment that is devoid of politics. But I tend to see politics thrumming through the Olympics. And, you know, to be honest, as someone who's looked at the political history of the Games, they've been there from the beginning, ever since that plucky French aristocrat named Baron Pierre de Coubertin began the Olympics in the 1890s, he actually pulled together political support from some of the powerful people in Europe and created the International Olympic Committee. And the Olympics have been political ever since then. And just if we shimmy ahead to the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, where Hitler used the Games as a sort of trampoline for his own political power, which ultimately led to the debacle of World War II. Chancellor Hitler on his way to perform the opening ceremony. Like a modern Cesar, he stands on the balcony to receive the salutes of the athletes of 50 nations. Shimmy forward to the Cold War years, where essentially the Olympics were a political battlefield, a proxy battlefield for politics. The United States Olympic Committee voted to boycott the Summer Olympic Games in Moscow.
1: I have notified the Olympic Committee that with Soviet invading forces in Afghanistan, neither the American people nor I will support sending an Olympic team to Moscow.
0: Moving forward to today, you know, the very controversial choice of Beijing. So the Olympics are political through and through. And anyone who tells you otherwise is very likely milking the Olympic cow with both hands, meaning making
1: their money off
0: of the Olympic Games.
1: So let's talk about that controversial choice. Before this Winter Olympics started, there was a big challenge for the host country, China, organizing the Games in the middle of a pandemic. And on top of that... The U.S. announced a diplomatic boycott that was supported by Australia, Britain and Canada. Now that the Olympics are over, how did that diplomatic boycott play out?
0: Well, for starters, it was interesting to me to see how few cities jumped on to the Biden administration's diplomatic boycott. Of course, we had allies like Canada, Australia, Great Britain signing on, but it was striking how few other countries did. In fact, some countries like Sweden that decided not to send diplomats made it clear that they were not doing so in order to join the diplomatic boycott. They were just doing so for COVID reasons. And I think that points up two really important lessons. One, is that China has a lot of power right now in the world system. They are a rising hegemonic force in geopolitics and most countries around the world are not overly excited and eager to get on their bad side. And second... The influence of the United States is very much dwindling. It doesn't go too far to say that U.S. democracy is on a ventilator right now. And don't take it from me. Take it from public opinion polls where that's a serious concern among everyday people who are asked about democracy. And so at the end of the day, the administration's diplomatic boycott did raise the issue of human rights abuses in China. So in that sense, it succeeded. But it didn't get that many countries to join on. And so you could say in that sense it failed.
1: So the Chinese government's view on this was that the diplomatic boycott was just a political act. What is your take on how that played out?
0: Well, they're right. It was a political act, 100%. I totally agree with them. The thing about it is, there is just so much hypocrisy flying around these Olympic Games. I mean, China itself boycotted the 1980 Olympics in Moscow over political reasons because they were upset with the Soviet Union's invasion of Afghanistan. There's certainly hypocrisy from the United States around these Olympics and calling for a diplomatic boycott. I mean, look at the United States' human rights record over time. I mean, this sort of undying, unquestioned support for Israel over time, despite the fact that there's an apartheid system being meted out against Palestinians. In a scathing new report, Amnesty International accuses Israel of committing the crime of apartheid against Palestinians in the occupied territories and Israel. What about kids in cages at the border? Dramatic images from migrant facilities on the U.S.-Mexico border. chain link fences pages, temporarily holding more than a thousand immigrants, many of them children. So it looks a little hypocritical for the Biden administration to be waggling a human rights finger at China. And then last, the maybe the champions, the gold medal winners of hypocrisy could be the International Olympic Committee itself. I mean, we wouldn't even be having this conversation if they lived up to the ideals that are in their very own Olympic charter that they supposedly live by.
1: In an article that you wrote just about a month ago for The Guardian, you say, in a sense, the IOC, International Olympic Committee, is complicit in escalating tensions between China and the U.S. And it's placed athletes in the middle of the imbroglio." What do you mean by that?
0: Absolutely. By denying that the Olympics are political and then throwing athletes into the middle of what is an obvious political situation, that means that there's going to be tons of questions thrown in the direction of athletes. And so by giving the Olympics to China, it all of a sudden raised a whole host of questions that these athletes needed to deal with.
1: I want to talk about one of the examples of the politics of the sports. And it's a reflection of the tensions between China and the U.S. in the games. And it's the case of two American-born athletes. So figure skater Zhou Yi and freestyle skier Eileen Gu. They both competed for China. Eileen won a gold medal and Zhou Yi did not perform well during the games. But what's interesting is the contrasting reception that both athletes received in China and the U.S. So Chinese media praised Eileen after her win. Eileen Gu's popularity has soared since she won gold. There's no question that she has absolutely captured the hearts of the spectators. Biggest crowd at the snow park I'd seen thus far. And in contrast, she was scolded by politicians in the U.S. Some even asked for her to lose her American citizenship.
0: It is incredibly ungrateful for her to betray, turn her back on the country that not just raised her, but turned her into a world-class skier.
1: And then on the other hand, California-born figure skater, Joy Yi, was attacked on social media after she crashed into a wall during an event.
0: Olympic figure skater getting slammed on Chinese social media.
1: Chinese internet users
0: labeled her a disgrace and criticized her American upbringing and poor grasp of
1: Mandarin. And on Weibo, the social media platform, they suspended multiple accounts and deleted abusive posts about her. So keeping these things in mind, how hard is this type of situation on an athlete's performance, on their mental health? Because these two young ladies were put in the middle of something that was much bigger than just the sport.
0: Absolutely. They were unequivocally caught in the crossfire. And this is further evidence that the Olympics are political through and through. Now, with these two athletes, they had extra pressure on their shoulders to perform. And it doesn't surprise me that social media, there'd be attacks there. I think a lot of it was unfair. I think a lot of it was anti-Asian hate in social media form. There are numerous athletes who decide to compete for a different country, and they catch basically no flack whatsoever. I mean, I can just point to numerous examples. Alpine skier Jeffrey Webb, who was raised in the United States, competed for Malaysia at the most recent Olympics prior to Beijing and Pyeongchang, South Korea. Did we hear attacks on him? Absolutely not. There's a Michigan born ice dancer named Chris Reed, who maybe some of your listeners saw compete, who uh, represented Japan at these games. I mean, there's just numerous examples here. And so, again, these athletes got caught in a larger political crossfire between the United States and with China. And like you said, this is further evidence that the Olympics aren't just the Olympi- Olympics, uh, sports aren't just sports. <laughs>
1: Another political case, in a way, is the one of 15-year-old Russian figure skater Kamila Believa. She's being investigated for a failed drug test, and critics have said that the adults working around her should be accountable for it. But... Also, China's largest state newspaper, the People's Daily, published a Russian conspiracy theory that claims the West is behind the doping scandal by using, quote, hybrid warfare, unquote. (laughs) So many angles to this. What can you tell us about this case?
0: Well, first of all, I think it's just important to highlight that we're talking about a child here. She's 15 years old and she's been reared in an incredibly rigorous system a system that has spit out many athletes just like her, people who have to retire from figure skating because of the intensity of the training at age like 19 with lifelong injuries. She's very much part of a system in Russia that unfortunately has a strong track record of systematic institutionalized doping and intentional cover-ups. I mean, it was only a few years back at the Sochi Olympics, the Winter Games of 2014, where there was across the board state-sponsored doping happening by Russia at those games.
1: The World Anti-Doping Agency said Russian athletes used performance-enhancing drugs during the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics.
0: Drug, cocktails, and bogus urine samples. The doctor admits providing those and more to Russian athletes at the Sochi Olympics. The response from the International Olympic Committee was to try to keep Russia inside of the Olympic fold because they're a big player in Olympic circles. And So doping is one problem among many that are plaguing the Olympic Games. But certainly doping reared its head here in Beijing in a way that was pretty gruesome.
1: Joel says that athletes often feel like the International Olympic Committee doesn't treat them well.
0: There was a really interesting and important study done by Ryerson University in Canada, along with this progressive global startup group called Global Athlete, And they compared the amount of revenue that athletes from big-time sports like the NBA, National Basketball Association, the National Hockey League, how much they got. And for those big time leagues, athletes got between 45 and 60% of the revenues. Mm. With the Olympics, you'll be shocked. They only get 4.1% of the revenues from the games. If you're talking direct revenues, it's 0.5%. And so there are totally reasonable grievances that athletes have right now involving the International Olympic Committee. They are not getting their fair share of the money pie. These Beijing 2022 Olympics really highlighted that the International Olympic Committee needs a full-time watchdog.
1: Jules, one point that you've made in one of your articles about this Winter Olympics is that the IOC has, quote, started to resemble the authoritarian governments it's been unwilling to criticize. Why is that?
0: Yeah, well, when it comes to the Olympics, during the bid phase, they say that they'll only cost so much, but they cost so much more once the games roll around. There's also this sort of greenwashing that happens. They talk a big green game, but the follow through on the ecological front is often lacking. There's also white elephant stadiums that are often left in the wake of the Olympic games. There's the militarization of the public sphere to protect the Olympic spectacle. There's gentrification and forced displacement. And so there's deep and ingrained problems with these Olympics today. And Right now, they're just simply not being addressed by the International Olympic Committee. They're looking the other way.
1: China faced criticism for human rights abuses, especially against the Muslim Uyghur community, which was one of the main reasons for the U.S. diplomatic boycott. But during the opening ceremony, China had a Uyghur athlete help deliver the Olympic flame, something that the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. said was an effort to distract us from the real issue. So the question here is, how much have these Olympics helped China's image? Who gets the final gold medal this Olympics?
0: Well, that's a great question. And let's be real, if you don't live in North America, there's a very good chance that the media you consume is much more open-minded about China. I mean, they have this Belt and Road Initiative that has helped numerous countries around the world. I know it gets a lot of press for the work that China's done in sub-Saharan Africa. And so there are a lot of people that are perfectly fine with China, but there's no getting around the fact that China is a human rights abuser. One thing, though, I have to say, you know, in terms of thinking about the bigger picture, China actually, one legacy of the Games might be that they've handled COVID relatively efficiently. I mean, it's no small thing to bring people from around the world into the Olympic bubble. You know, the fact of the matter is that it's hypocritical to give the Olympics to a place like China based on human rights. But people around the world are also looking at China and the 800 million people they've brought out of poverty since 1980 and saying, you know what, that's a different model for the world. It's different than the United States, which isn't exactly a bastion of glory when it comes to some human rights issues as well.
1: Jules, why do you write about the Olympics? Do you like the games or do you love hating on the games? (laughs) You know, I do not
0: love hating on the games. I do believe that the Olympics could be better for host city communities. I, in many cases, have lived in the Olympic city and I talk to everyday people whose lives are affected by the Olympics and sometimes overturned by the Olympics and, you know, that animates me to fight for them because they're probably not going to get a microphone like I'm fortunate enough to have with you today. But their voices matter, their experiences matter, and I'm determined to try to raise them up for everybody to understand that the Olympics are a complex beast. And they have some serious downsides that very much need addressing.
1: And that's The Take. We want to know what you thought of the Winter Games. Let us know on social. We're at AJ The Take on Twitter and Instagram, or find us on Facebook at The Take Pod. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez and Ruby Zaman, with Priyanka Tilvey, Nagin Oliay, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya El-Milek is the engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is the Take's executive producer. We'll be back.